Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning, good morning. It's the 22nd of December. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. Now, before we read the verse of the day, we want to be in the Word of God before we get out there into the world that God so loves. So where in the Word are you today? We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. But before we read the verse of the day, let me um, set the scene. It was a very average night, or so it seemed to the shepherds in the fields outside the little town of Bethlehem. Well, as much of a regular night as you could have in the middle of a census for the whole Roman world, your town was playing host to generations of people who formed the family tree of David. They were all in town for the census. Everyone was to be counted, and so everyone went to the place where they could identify themselves as a part of a tree, a son of a son of a son, or at least the son of a son of a son of a daughter. So it should have been like a big family reunion. But, you know, we're talking about 27 generations since David. And so we're talking about a tree that's spread pretty far and wide and people who don't really all know each other anymore. So what they didn't know was that tonight, tonight of all nights, on a seemingly otherwise ordinary night, A child would be born in the 28th generation from David. An angel of the Lord had just appeared to them. The glory of the Lord had just encamped around them. They were frozen in fear and wonder and awe. And then the angel said the most remarkable thing. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that should cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. What? Really? The Messiah? Lying in a manger? They didn't get the chance to ask any follow-up questions. Because just then, and this brings us to our Growing Your Faith verse of the day, in Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Suddenly, A great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying together, saying, not singing, which I find curious because we sing it, don't we? Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. We don't know how long this angelic, I'll call it a chorus, filled the expanse of the sky from horizon to horizon. But if the whole heavenly host showed up, then there were angels, I don't know, a stadium deep into the sky and from horizon to horizon as far as the eye could see, crying out together, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace 
to those on whom his favor rests. My guess is your crush, your nativity, does not include the angelic host. <laughs> Where would you put it? We don't know how long they spoke. We don't know if only the shepherds heard them. What we do know is that when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds somehow, I don't know, gathered themselves up. That part's not in here. I wish it were. Said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. And this is where, you know, I would contend they did not bring their sheep with them. Um, and so those little sheep that we have in our in our nativity scenes, you know, I'm just not, I'm not so sure. So anyway, and we also don't know how many shepherds there were. They're not counted. How many shepherds are in your are in your nativity or your crash? Yeah, we don't know. They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, which means they went and told folks. And remember, the town is packed with people. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned to the fields, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. My friend, does today feel like a rather ordinary day? Feel like a day where you're just going to be doing the thing that you do every day, like shepherds in a field? Well, what if today were the day? What if today were the day of the Lord's Advent? And you say, well, he's already come. We've already had the Lord's Advent. It's Christmas. It's the whole point of this exercise, Garmin. Yeah, I'm talking about his second coming. What if you, like the shepherds, were found faithfully tending to the everyday responsibilities of life, and for some inexplicable reason, God sent an angel to declare, hey, this is the day. What would you do differently if you knew this were the day? What chaff would you leave undone? What would, you, what would be like readily apparent as unfit for the king's arrival? Who would you rush to tell? Would it strike the same mixture of fear and awe and anticipation and joy and praise demonstrated by the shepherds that Jesus is coming and today is the day? Jesus has come, yes. That's what Christmas is all about. But Jesus is coming again. Not in the same way, not as a baby. Um, There's a lot in the New Testament about the second coming and what we know about it. Maybe most importantly, Jesus has promised that he's going to come. Throughout the Gospel of Matthew, you can read lots of places where Jesus is going to talk about coming. And in the Gospel of John, and in Revelation 22.20, where he testifies uh, to these things, he says, Surely I'm coming soon. It's like the walk-off promise of the Bible. And how will he come? Well, according to the angels who were present at Jesus' ascension into heaven, he's coming again the same way the disciples saw him depart. So you'll want to read Acts chapter 1 to see you know, how that scene unfolds and how Jesus ascends into heaven. And then consider what it would be like For the same Jesus who has been taken up into heaven to come back in the same way that you have seen him go. He's going to come as he went. 
And it could happen at any moment, on any day. Today might be that day. So let us live ready. Amen? Amen. Our friend Than Bennett is going to join us next. We're going to, um, we're going to talk about wondering and wandering and the gift of not having to do either. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Hey, our friend Than Bennett is here with us. Good morning, Than. Merry Christmas, Carmen. How are you, my friend? Well, I'm I'm on the mend. <clears throat> I'm on the mend. I'm I'm on the uh, on the I'm on the upside of the crud. This is good. I, I, I can tell, but let me tell you, your voice is still tinged with the Holy Spirit every time I hear you. So don't worry about that for one little one little well, moment. Well, thank you. I have um I have been um I've been operating this week in the spirit of people still have to get up and milk the cows. <laughs> do, so, do you I have mean, to get up and milk the cows? No, you but personally? who am I to not get up and do this? Like right? Like the people, if it doesn't matter how you feel, cows still have to be milked. So I'm like, it doesn't matter how I feel. This is still a wonderful opportunity to get together and talk about Jesus. And so, you know, as long as he gives me breath, right? Amen to that. Although I tell you, you've touched on a sore spot because my wife and I are currently in a debate over whether or not to breed our goats, Carmen. And I've Mm. I've done the milking Mm. before. I'm just Mm, not mm, sure mm. I'm up for that. But she'll she'll mm. win eventually. She will. Mm. Mm. I will tell you, we don't own anything that needs to be milked. Chickens, beef cows, dogs, these are all acceptable farm animals in my view. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Whew. I'm uh, I'm with you on the goat thing, but you know, hey, the the cheese is great. So, I don't know. There's a lot of work before you get to the cheese, Carmen. I'm just saying, but you know, again, at some point next spring we'll be talking and I will have just come off of milking the goats. I'm sure of it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hey, I actually want to um start this week by something that your wife inspired. So my, my first question was going to be, hey, talk with us about the power of a praying wife. Um, because you, you share uh, in your post this week a simple prayer that Brooke offered. Could you, could you start us off there? Yeah, I really appreciate that setup, actually, because I have I've really been sitting in this and the wonder of a praying wife anew. There was a a moment a few days ago where I was sitting in. It's every every morning Brooke prays over our kids, and uh, she prayed this over them among other things. But this is the line that kind of stuck with me. She said, "Thank you that we don't have to wander or wonder." And I I want to I want to talk about that for a, a bit. But uh, first, just just your point about a praying wife. I want I want to the, the parents out there. This is so important, not just to pray over your kids in a prayer closet. That That's important, but they need to hear us uh, pray over them and, and speak identity over them. And so I'm so grateful that Brooke does that for our kids. But one of the reasons, Carmen, why I think that is so important is because I, I think it's indisputable, really, that we live in a world that has an identity crisis. And the world has an identity crisis largely because it tells us that our identity is something that that we can craft and that we can go out and find, that we can go out and search for, and it can sort of be built at you know our own hands, at our own ambition. And when when you and I believe that, Carmen, then we have to wander, right? We have to go out and find our identity. And when we uh, accept that statement, then we have to wonder. We have to wonder who we whose we are and and who we are and what our name truly is. 
And that is directly contrary to the beautiful promises that we we find in Scripture. You know, true true identity is not out there somewhere, Carmen. It's it's within the shelter of our Creator's wings, and it's not something that is is rooted in self. It is something that is is wholly wrapped up, completely entangled in the identity of Jesus Christ. So we don't have to wonder. And so I, I think when our kids go out into the world, they need to go out into the world armed with their true identity. And they find that true identity in the word. I love in your intro, you said you have to be in the word before we're out in the world. And that is this concept. It's, it's why I write the equipped newsletter. We are supposed to be in the world, but we have to be, we have to be soaked in the word before we go out into the world. And so I would just land on, on two, two passages, Luke 15, it's the lost sheep, the lost coin and the prodigal son. We don't have to wander because we've already been found. And then Isaiah 43, 1, we, we don't have to wonder whose we are because he has already called us mine. We are, we have always been Carmen, and we will always be his. We don't have to wander, and we don't have to wonder. I love that. I also think that in that, we have then the, the freedom. Like once you hmm. know that you don't have to wonder about who you are, which means you don't have to wander, then you have the liberty and the freedom to wonder in sort of the positive sense of the word as you, let's say, wander out under the stars. Like there, there is this liberty. Um, there's this freedom to go anywhere, um, to pursue nearly anything, because you know that there's nowhere that you can go that's apart from you know, God's sovereign reign over your life. And so I, I love the way that this sets us up to live in the freedom um, of the Christian life. Boy, I could not agree with that more. I, I actually wrote in one of my early books about the, this thread of Scripture where God is talking about how his mysteries are discovered in these unknown places. And the, the reason he calls us into unknown places, and I think this is true for the call that he made of uh, Abram for sure, the reason he calls us in those places is because we have to lean on him. And if we want our lives to be about so much more than our own capacities, then we do have to venture into places that we actually can't control on our own. And you're right. There's such freedom in that because the results are not ours, Carmen. They're up to God. They're up to God to determine. They're up to to God to chart. And it, it, it just leads us to a place where our lives become about him rather than us. So I, I love that. We don't have to wander or wonder, but we get to wander and wonder in him. Love it. Yeah, I love that too. We're going to continue our conversation with Than Bennett here in just a moment. You can um, visit with him online at Than, that has two N's, Bennett, that also has two N's and two T's, fanbennett.com, and that's where you can subscribe to the Equipped Newsletter, or you can just go there directly, theequippednewsletter.com. That's what we're reading from today, and we're going to return to this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. TikTok. Yeah, TikTok is an app, but TikTok is also the reality of the year winding down to the end. So we're making lists, we're checking them twice, things done, things left undone, gifts given, gifts we still need to buy. Would you help us with a gift before the end of the year? Time is ticking away, and this ministry is not possible without you. So I'm wondering if before the end of the year, you would make your best tax-deductible gift to support Faith Radio. Your gift right now 
keeps the good news in front of more people everywhere, all the time, anywhere, accessible through the Faith Radio app and at MyFaithRadio.com. So thank you for giving by clicking the link in the show notes or by giving today at MyFaithRadio.com. TikTok. Continuing our conversation with our friend Than Bennett. He hosts The Equipped here on the Faith Radio Network. We're also reading today from The Equipped Newsletter. Um, Than, take us into the news portion, and let's remind everybody why why we lift up headline news in the way that we do. What are, what are we looking for here um, as we unpack these stories? Yeah, I appreciate that question, Carmen, because we look at headline news very different in the equipped newsletter. We're, we're not trying to consume it. Actually, much of our mission is rooted in where you started. We want to be in the word before we're out in the world. And so uh, every week we, we talk about the true. We, we just did that when we talked about wandering and wondering. And then we turn to three headline news. But we the, the, the portion where we discuss the stories, Carmen, is usually very brief. It's usually just maybe a paragraph of uh, facts so that you have the facts that are that re- underpin the story. And then we turn to what does the Bible have to say about how Jesus followers should interact with these stories? And the idea is that as we go out into the world, we would be equipped to actually be salt and light and actually make a difference in these stories. And so we, we deal with three headline stories, and then we always close with a reminder of something that is beautiful. And, and my wife, Brooke, contributes to that part as well, because that's the posture we want to take into the world. We want to share uh, beauty with them. And so um, that's kind of the format, Carmen. We, we start with truth, we deal with headline news, and then we close with something beautiful. That's so good. All right. Um, we might not have time to do all three, um, yep. but let's, so let's start with the second one. Because we, we, we know what the Red Sea is. We know that Moses crossed, uh, you know, the narrow portion of it. Um, this sounds crazy that there's now war in the Red Sea. Can you talk about that story? Yeah, I think this continues to be the most important story in the world, Carmen. I really do. Uh, the, the war between Israel and Hamas has spread to the Red Sea, obviously a hugely significant uh, biblical place. Uh, the, the, the Houthi rebels, who are uh, they're a, a militant group that's based in Yemen, they're backed by Her- Iran. And we've actually talked about this in previous episodes. We, we know that Iran proxies are going to be coming to the aid of Hamas. So we've sort of been expecting this. But the Houthis, Carmen, are attacking shipping vessels in the Red Sea, and it is disrupting commerce all around the world. The United States is responding, leading an international team to try to secure the waterway. But here's here's sort of the application point that that I want the equipped readers to to land on. Hamas is saying that these attacks are going to continue until the war ends, and they are disregarding really the two sort of bracketed parameters that the Prime Minister of Israel has put in place. And I want I want people to consider just how imminently reasonable these stipulations are. Uh, The prime minister has said that he wants those responsible for the October 7th attack, mainly Hamas, to be neutralized, and he wants all of their hostages freed. And Susie, the question, or Susie, Susie's my other friend on Faith Radio. Carmen, it's okay. uh, You can call me Susie anytime. (laughs) That is a high compliment. 
I, I, I appreciate that. But I think if any other nation in the world were making these demands, that the, the, the entity responsible for terrorizing their citizens would be neutralized and all of the hostages would be returned, uh, Carmen, the world would accept that. The world would accept those demands, but they are increasingly not accepting those demands from the nation state of Israel. And so uh, just calling readers and listeners of the equip to return to just how eminently reasonable those demands are, and then to hold the two tensions that we find in scripture in, in, in balance. One, that we're to seek and pursue peace, but we're also to seek and pursue justice and defend the oppressor. So bring into um, biblical worldview or eternal perspective focus the this conversation about security at home and abroad. So this is a story about two pieces of legislation that Congress is considering that have really become wrapped up in the same debate. Congress has now left for the Christmas break. They did it without resolving these two debates that have become one. The first is... Uh, an $111 billion aid package for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan, most of it for Ukraine, about $60 billion. And then, uh, Carmen, a second debate about security on our national, our southern, our southern national border. Uh, it's really become a crisis down there. There is, there is uh, record crossings each and every day. And so while there is majority support in the Congress for uh, this international aid package, it's becoming increasingly clear that they are not going to approve it unless there is something done about our southern border. And so I've done two things in the equipped newsletter for uh, for, for readers to really be more informed on this. First, I've include, included some visuals. I want people to look at these charts about the extent of the USA that has already flowed to Ukraine. It's about $75 billion. There's certainly a case to be made there, Carmen, that there is Ukraine is being oppressed. Vladimir Putin is definitely an aggressor. But I want people to have a perspective of the aid that has already flowed. And then I've, I've asked people to consider how the reasons that immigration debates in the United States are so difficult. We are a melting pot land of opportunity, no doubt about it. But the only way we can offer that sort of, I, I, I would call it a, a biblical promise for refugees seeking a better life in a safe place. The only way we can do that if it's under the protection of an ordered security. And so we've we've come to a head on that debate in this country, Carmen. And I think Jesus followers are the ones that are actually best positioned to model both sides of this. We should be caring for the foreigner in our land. We find that command all through scripture. But at the same time, to truly provide a place of refuge for those people who are in danger, it does need to be accomplished underneath an ordered security. And right now, both of those promises are eluding us. Um, this is going to be a, um, uh, like a curveball. Is that okay? Absolutely. So, um, I want to have a conversation about blood and I want to have a conversation about the blood of Jesus. And that is the blood that we as Christians, um, talk about. It's the blood, um, in which we're covered. It's the blood through which we're saved. And so I just, I, I don't really want to identify the speaker here. I just want to say someone has publicly stated that the flow of people into this country from other places is, quote, poisoning the blood of America. Um, and I, I want to give a Christian response to that. And I, and, I want to, and, I, and I want it to be really clear. 
So I would start by saying that every human being is made in the image of God. We find that in Genesis 1.26. It is unequivocally clear. We also know from Scripture time and time again that the Almighty God, the Creator of the universe, sent His one and only Son, His precious and beloved Son, to redeem each and every person on the planet, regardless of uh, nation of origin. That was really where the promise of, uh, you know, the Jewish people were God's uh, uh, God's promised people, but that was where it expanded to the rest of the globe. Carmen. Uh, Jesus' blood was spilled. It was spent. It was sacrificed for each and every person. And it is that blood that allows us the promise of eternity. And so I would just suggest that any conversation about the human blood that flows through us stops uh, so tragically short of this beautiful promise we have of claiming the blood of Jesus Christ that was spilled specifically for each one of us. And it's only in the power of that blood that we lay hold of eternity. Amen. The power of the blood of Jesus. That's a good good place for us to to end our conversation today. Than, um, thank you as always so much. Than hosts the Equipped here on the Faith Radio Network. You should sign up for the Equipped newsletter at theequippednewsletter.com. If you need me to shoot you that link, just text me 877-933-2484. Happy to do that. Um, Than, Merry, Merry Christmas to you and Brooke and your little people. Um, We'll talk with you in the new year, God willing. Merry Christmas, Carmen. Love you so much. Merry Christmas. That's mutual. Hey, that's our our friend Than Bennett. Please um, be sure to check in with him, theequippednewsletter.com. So from December 1941 until October 1942, so you just think about that in terms of the length of time. We're talking about roughly... 11 months of radio programming, the BBC broadcast a series of radio dramas. They were written by Dorothy Sayers. And obviously the backdrop here is World War II. The plays presented 12 episodes in the life and ministry of Jesus. So first of all, just think about that. The BBC broadcast a series of radio dramas, 12 episodes in the life and ministry of Jesus. They start with the visit of the Magi, and they conclude with um, his resurrection. So covers his entire ministry, his death, and his resurrection. And in every episode, the kingship of Christ is affirmed. So that's really what the emphasis of the entire um, series was about, was about the kingship of Jesus. So Dorothy Sayers, as you might imagine, used a lot of colloquial English um, as an as a part of her effort to bring the gospels to life in a new way for radio listeners and the the plays at the time were both controversial and incredibly successful um they boosted the morale of the country during the war and they were subsequently published and they stand among um Dorothy Sayers most beloved works to this day the challenge is they are not accessible the language is not accessible for a lot of folks today so good news, Catherine Ware um, has edited an edition. It's now called The Man Born to Be King. It's an annotated edition um, of these radio dramas, and we're going to have that conversation with Catherine Ware next. We do have copies to give away, so you can text the word book to 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen.
What a delight to have Catherine Ware with us today. Um, She is a scholar on the writings of Dorothy Sayers, who I very much love, but I had never read The Man Born to be King, and we now have this beautiful annotated edition. Catherine, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you very much, Carmen. Glad to be here. So um, I think it would be fun for you to just introduce yourself. I could read um, all the fancy things that you do, um, or you could just tell us about yourself, like we're having coffee and getting to know each other. Oh, sure. So um, I grew up in Minnesota. I uh, studied theater and then theology in different places, eventually getting my PhD at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland um, in theology, imagination, and the arts, where I focused on Dorothy L. Sayers and these particular radio plays. Um, So it's exciting to be on the radio talking about radio plays, because these plays are definitely meant to be heard. and uh, you know, not performed on a stage. They they could be a few times they have been done, but they're meant to be heard. So, is anybody like working on that project? I mean, it's a book now, and it's been brought forward into the contemporary conversation. Is anybody working on producing these twelve plays for radio? Well, they have been produced a number of times by the BBC, the British Broadcasting mm-hmm. Corporation. Mm-hmm. They originally um, asked Dorothy L. Sayers to, um, to write the plays. And so they did a first production in 1941, 1942. So it's right during World War II, which is one of the really fun, fascinating things about it, because we see little hints of that throughout um, the notes that Sayers gives for each of the plays. Um, but then they were redone a couple times by the BBC. And the most recent recording, which is still from the 1960s, it's the 1967 recording, um, but those are available on Audible. So if people want to experience them as radio theater, um, they can get that on Audible. Um, that is cool. But I would love, I mean, personally, as someone who loves the plays and loves the, you know, full sense of everything Sayers is trying to do theologically and, you know, with her characters. Um, the the most recent recording, which, as I said, is the only one that's available, um, they are cut down. They're about 40 minutes where her original script would be more like 55 minutes. So they've cut out some things. So I would love for there to be a new recording with the full script to get, you know, all the goodies in there. Okay, and what we have in The Man Born to be King in this annotated edition, um, we have the full scripts, right? That's right. Yes. So this new edition um, includes the full scripts um, as Sayers, you know, first uh, published them. um, And and then the stuff that I added is sort of like the backstage tour. Mm. So I, um, I give a little introduction to each of the 12 plays. And then, um, and then I have notes throughout. So, because as I said, these super are super helpful. Written... Yeah, super oh, helpful. Good. The the yeah. marginal, like your marginal notes, and then the like the foot. I'm like, if that weren't in there, I would have not understood the sentence, and then of course I wouldn't have understood the the larger paragraph. So those are really really right. helpful. Good, thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad that uh, you you know that that's helpful um, for for readers. That was really my intention because. The first time I read them, I loved them. But one of the, you know, some of the questions I had were, were, were like, now which gospel is this story from? Mm-hmm. Because she uses all four gospels. And so I thought, oh, I wish there was a, an edition that at least footnoted the scriptures. 
Um, and so that was really the impetus for this new version. But then um, I also began to think, oh, well, let's see, this is kind of a very British word. Um, like, for instance, the centurion servant who gets healed is referred to as a batman which is a military servant. And any British person in the 40s would know that. But people mm -hmm. today look at that and they think, Batman, what's he doing in a nativity play? Um, so those kinds of things are things that I explain for people along the way. I'm so um, glad you yeah. brought that one up because that was actually one of my favorites. I could imagine, oh. I could imagine a child like being like, and yes, and now it's time for Batman. Like, right? Yeah. <laughs> They'd be so excited because they would see that. They would see that. We're talking with Catherine Ware. We're talking about a, a, a new annotated edition of Dorothy Sayers' 12 um, plays that she wrote for broadcasting. Uh, it's called The Man Born to Be King, and it's a play cycle on the life of Jesus Christ. And I love the dedicatory um, poem that it begins with. Um, I'm, Catherine, do you do you have it in front of you? Could you read the makers or at sure. least the beginning? Yeah. Maybe the first few stanzas of it because it is long. Yeah, let me just find that. Here we go. The architect stood forth and said, I am the master of the art. I have a thought within my head. I have a dream within my heart. Come now, good craftsman, ply your trade with tool and stone obediently. Behold the plan that I have made. I am the master, serve you me. The craftsman answered, sir, I will. Yet look to it that this your draft be of a sort to serve my skill. You are not master of the craft. It is by me the tower grows tall. I lay the course, I shape and hew. You make a little inky scrawl. That is all that you can do. Um, so it's sort of like a, it goes on from there, but it's then, you know, then the, the craftsman turns to the, the tools and the tools to the stone and each one says, well, you can't do what, what, you know, you can't make a building without me. Um, but so then she ends with, let okay. each do well, what each knows best, nothing refuse and nothing shirk since none is master of the rest but all are servants of the work. So that everyone has a part to play is, you know, mm -hmm. in a sense, they're putting something together. And she's really thinking of that in terms of um, these plays as well. She herself was very clear on what her job was as a playwright. Um, the BBC commissioned these plays and it was the head of religious broadcasting for the BBC. And he really had an evangelistic purpose in mind. He felt like, People are, you know, not going to church anymore, you know, around them. They don't know the Bible. How can we introduce them to Jesus Christ? And it was through radio. That was the mass medium of its day. These plays are kind of like the chosen of the 1940s um, because they're they're using, uh, you know, the, the biggest medium available to bring the story of Jesus Christ to the most number of people possible. Um, and so she was very clear, you know, the BBC wanted them for evangelistic purposes. She knew her job was to write the best set of radio plays that she could using all her tools, you know, using, she had different uh, Bible translations, including a Greek translation in front of her. She had commentaries. 
um, all these tools that she was using as a playwright. And then there was a producer who was working with the, the actors, and then there were the actors themselves. And of course, all the sound technicians and people making the sound effects, um, lots of sound effects in this, because uh, of course, we have a storm on the Sea of Galilee and crowd sounds and all those things. So, you know, she was very clear on, you know, everybody is needed for mm-hmm. this production. Um, yeah, and so let's each do what 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 is our part to play. It's just, it's so fun. It's so fun to be talking about this. All right, we're talking with (laughs) Catherine Ware. She's the editor of The Man Born to be King. It's an annotated edition of Dorothy Sayers' series of of plays, first broadcast on the BBC in the very early 1940s. Um, We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Feelings, nothing more than feelings. I mean, seriously, if all we had was nothing more than feelings, we would just be lost in a sea of mush. Hello, friend. Uh, I'm sure you have noticed by now that feelings are a terrible barometer of the truth. Our feelings are affected by the weather, world events, what we ate last night, whether or not someone we like or love texted or tagged us in a social post, how badly someone else sings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you're feeling lonely right now, I want you to ask yourself, am I really ever truly alone? Of course not. As a follower of Christ, Jesus promises to be with you always. He's literally with you right now in the thick of it, in the midst of whatever circumstances you're dealing with in your life. So I want to be a source of hope and encouragement to you today. If you are struggling to make it, even just to the next moment, if you're feeling lonely, text the word HOPE to 877-933-2484. Continuing our conversation now with Catherine Ware. The book is The Man Born to be King, but it is, um, it's not just a book like any other book. It is a series of plays designed to be broadcast on radio. Um, and one of the things that Catherine does for us is she makes all kinds of side notes to help us understand um, the, the what's happening, particularly in places where there might be words used that we're not familiar with, or there might be a historical reference that we would miss because, well, frankly, we're not nearly as literate in, in so many ways. We're not nearly as literate as Dorothy Sayers nor her audience in the early 1940s. Catherine, maybe you could... Um, Maybe you could highlight another one of those. Like when we think about the the things that you chose to um, make marginal notes about, um, mm-hmm. is there something that stands out where you're like, well, it was just really clear to me that uh, the passage of time would render that portion really difficult for people to understand if I didn't say something about it? Yes. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, these were um, first produced in the early 1940s. So this is right in the middle of World War II. And um, so Sayers, as she's writing along, sometimes will help. I mean, she she wrote notes for the actors um, for the production. So then she she published those notes as well. And so we have those. So but sometimes she'll to help the actors, she'll say something like, you know, um, the the members of the Sanhedrin, they you know, they're kind of like the um French bishops who have capitulated to the Nazis, like they're collaborating with the Romans here. And so those kinds of things, you know, like, whoa, what, 
what is that? And so then I have a little note about like, you know, in 1942, you know, whatever mm-hmm. that um, mm-hmm. explains what was happening in Vichy, France, um, and how, um, you know, some of the religious leaders worked with the Nazis um, at that time. So those kinds of things, you know, we we just don't have those kinds of details right at the front of our mind. So I uh, try and try and help us out there. There's a um, there's a wonderful classical education embedded in this. Um, and so when she might make reference to Aristotle, um, mm-hmm. you then remind us, OK, this is this is this is where we're going. If we're going to talk about Aristotle's poetics and if we're going to talk about the Greek terms that um, right. Aristotle would have used like that is just those are really helpful because there just aren't a lot of us who maybe have thought about Aristotle recently, many who would not know that at all. Um, right. And you do that you do that for several of um, her reference that would have been common in the day, but certainly um, uncommon today. So I wanted to thank you for that assistance um, sure. as welcome. well. Yeah. Um, um, when you when you think about um, the music that's related to this, because music is a big part of mm. this. Obviously, it's you know it's going to be a radio play. Um, music and sound effects are going to be a part of it. Can you just talk a little bit about um, the music related to this? Yeah. So um, the original play cycles have, um, you know, a, a soundtrack. It's interesting. The 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 more recent production, they weren't able to get the rights for the mm. same music, um, and so the the recordings you can hear uses a, a kind of setting of O Come O Come Emmanuel as the 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 scene change music um but uh yeah i mean the the bbc of course had its own orchestra <laughs> um to to do live recordings of of different things or you know or recordings that they then used i mean you have to imagine a studio where there are big you know turntables where sound people are are um you know have records full of sound effects of crowds of wind of storms of you know, people's feet walking and they're, they're lifting the needle and moving them and, you know, putting microphones right, you know, at the speaker in order to make that sound part of the production. Um, We're just so used to digital things being added later, but these, these were live the first time. It's crazy to think about. Yeah. It's it's crazy because they're they're complex. I mean, these are complex, these are complex plays with multiple scenes um, and mm-hmm. lots of characters and a ton of movement. So let's let's yeah. give that away. There are yeah. twelve plays. Um, what what's included in them? You know, what's the what's the scope and sequence of the plays that are covered here? Right. Okay. So um, just before this play cycle, which is why she was asked to write this play cycle, she wrote a nativity play called "He That Should Come." So this play cycle starts with. Um, right after that. So it, the, you know, the Magi, or she calls the three kings, um, come to visit Jesus. So it's sort of the epiphany play. Um, and then, and then, and then it, then the next play, play two jumps to his adult ministry. And so mm-hmm. um, then we have, you know, because she's several... following the Bible. I mean, she really is. She's <laughs> right. And that's exactly. when you, when you make this, um, when you make the comparison to the chosen, I think that's just so um, such a good comparison to make because what mm-hmm. what Dorothy Sayers does is she takes what's available in the four gospels, 
she weaves them together in um, into mm-hmm. a narrative that works in terms of scope and sequence. She does apply, um, you know, some some of what we would call a, a inspired imagination um, at mm-hmm. some points, but but not a lot. It's pretty straightforward in terms of let's let's talk about what this would really look like, um, uh, you know, as it unfolded. So I appreciate that. Right. Yeah. I mean, she she really called what she was doing a, you know, realistic gospel play. Um, so there's things in there, you know, certain words or whatever that that feel old fashioned to us. But for her own day, she was really trying to to make it understandable, but also trying to give the context that a lot of people were missing. So, for instance, in play one, um, there are three scenes. The first and third take place in the court of Herod. And so it's giving a lot of the political background and the intrigue and why Herod would even feel um, you know, threatened by a little child in Bethlehem and why he decided to send his troops to kill all the, the baby boys. Um, you know, it's not just like he was some, well, maybe he was, he had a little bit of maniac in him, I'm sure, but, um, you know, he, it wasn't just capricious. It was, there were, it was calculated. He was a politician. He was trying to keep the peace in a very unstable, um, you know, place and time. And so you at least understand it, even if you're like, Ooh, that is, um, you know, it's a, it's a horrible thing, obviously what, what happened. So that kind of thing. And then she, she's really showing the intrigue of the, the different groups within Jewish society as well. You know, who are the Pharisees and how are they different from the Sadducees? And then how do those two relate to the Sanhedrin? And then, you know, who, who are these zealots? Um, she really develops that something we actually don't have a lot of information in the actual gospels about. I mean, we don't have any really of what the zealots did, what they really believed. We we have a few people that are called zealots, but that's something Sayers really developed. So she has a zealot character who kind of represents that group of people who's trying to get Jesus to kind of start a political movement. Um, and so, you know, that's obviously you know, adding on to what we have in the gospels, but it's for the purpose of helping people understand what was that movement that was, so good. That was happening. So um, Catherine, I have, yeah. I have been remiss. I have not told people that we have copies to give away. <laughs> so, oh, I know. Great. I know. So if you, you've been listening and you're like, I want that. Uh, we have copies of the man born to be king. Uh, we have copies to give away. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Catherine, um, what a delight. I, you know, oh, I, I hope someone reads this and is inspired to to remake it, to do it again, because um, it's just what a great what a great gift you have brought to us. Um, and then we would love to see this, you know, as a gift given to many in the world. So thank you so much. Good. You're so welcome. And may I just say this, this, uh, you know, is a little plug. C.S. Lewis read these plays every year during Holy Week. And so he was a fan and hopefully, you know, there'll be a new uh, generation of fans through this new annotated edition. I love that. Thank you so much. That's Catherine Ware. You can find her at CatherineWare.com. The book is the Man Born to be King. It is a an annotated edition of Dorothy Sayers' original work, and we'd love for you to um, to have a copy. So if you'd like to enter the drawing for the copies we have to give away today, text the word book to 877-933-2484. We've been 
um, talking about and committing to pray for one another in terms of the Christmas miracles that we need. And so let me just lift up a few of those at the end of this hour. Um, Gail's asking for a Christmas miracle for his son, Ken, that he and his wife would welcome Christ into their life, Um, that there would be a supportive husband and father, that there would be a miracle of a job in which they can thrive. Um, All kinds of prayer requests there. For Meg, uh, a, a a Christmas miracle prayer for her husband, who's recently been diagnosed with prostate cancer and a tumor on his left kidney. Um, for Annette, that we would pray for the end to an estrangement in her family. Her sister, um, just a reconciliation is needed there. Um, a, a Christmas miracle for Pamela, who's a Christian, but it's also been living homeless for 10 years. She's been, you know, she's just in need of all kinds of restoration. And um, yeah, there's probably all kinds of issues there. And Christ is probably the only answer to most of them. And so just let's be praying for Christmas miracles for one another um, this season. Everyone you meet needs a Christmas miracle. Jesus has sent the gift of hope wrapped in human flesh and lying in a manger. Let's be sure that we lead people to him with grace and tenderness and love. We got another hour together. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.